This is a CSIS podcast series conducted by the Technology and Public Policy Program, where experts are interviewed on key issues relating to cybersecurity. We are speaking with Ellen Nakashima, a national security reporter for The Washington Post. Ellen, thank you for your time. Thank you for having me. Great. Um, So just to start out, where do you think cyber red lines should be drawn? Well, in one sense, there's a more fundamental question here. Should a red line be publicly stated at all? The administration has a concern, not unfounded, I think, that if a red line is publicly established, then they'd be alerting adversaries as to how far they can go in cyberspace without being retaliated against. Mm -hmm. But in another sense, the red line debate is a variation on that old question that has been vexing policy circles for years, which is what is an act of war in cyberspace? General Jim Cartwright, former vice chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff and who is here as well at CSIS, has often said that an act of war is in the eye of the beholder. In fact, it is in a sense more a political judgment than a military or legal one. And after all, the U.S. didn't go to war with Iran after the uh, U.S. Embassy in Tehran was seized in 1979. So so here's a rule of thumb that uh, Harold Koh, who uh, last year when he was still the State Department's chief legal advisor, he, he gave this rule of thumb. He said, if a cyber attack results in the kind of physical damage that dropping a bomb or firing a missile would, mm-hmm. then that cyber attack should be considered a use of force. So that is, if an attack reaches those levels of physical damage, then a nation has a right to act in self-defense. But there are more complicated scenarios. So, so what if a cyber attack causes the Wall Street computer systems to crash, sending markets into a tailspin and causing consumer confidence to plummet? Right. right? Now, some say that might be considered an armed attack Mm -hmm. that justifies a response. That might be one of those, I know it when I see it, red lines. Okay. So let's now say you've actually determined, you're in the National Security Council, determined that some attack has crossed that red line. The more difficult question is really, now what do you do about it? Right. It's, it's not a given or even a likelihood that a cyber attack or uh, action will be met with a cyber attack, counter strike. So here, much depends on the, on the circumstances, on the context. Okay. Uh, response actions could take the form of, say, sanctions or heightened economic um, measures, diplomatic moves to name and shame, covert actions in the cyberspace to mess with an adversary system, or even an outright to traditional military strike, which would always be the last resort. Mm-hmm. And if I'm thinking about how to respond to a cyber attack, I'm going to want to know with high confidence who the actor is, who the attacker is, uh, what I or the president hope to gain with the response, how much potential the adversary or his allies have to uh, retaliate, and uh, maybe what the assessment of blowback might be on, say, the private sector. Those are all just a few of the factors that go into judging whether, when, and how to respond. So it's, 
it's not a simple exercise. It's very complicated. Yeah, and in, and in any event, any response has to be proportionate, discriminate, not to, to, to have undue consequences on civilians or civilian systems. Right. It has to be justified, necessary. So all of those the, international the codes of war. war. Correct. Mm -hmm. Okay. So how do you think the government can play a role in encouraging uh, the private sector to adopt cyber policies? Mm -hmm. Well, first, if there was enough uh, political <laughs> will in uh, Congress, the administration could pass laws mandating uh, the, that companies bolter, bolster their defenses with, mm -hmm. with stricter standards. But that will is just not there today. Uh, the business community, and especially the Chamber of Commerce, has flexed its political muscle to stop any effort at mandating um, standards. Their argument is that it will kill innovation. Uh, be that as it may, the government is left with a voluntary approach at standards um, that they say they hope will be adopted once companies see it's in their own best interests. So they're trying to, right now, as you know, there's this um, NIST framework, the, the National Institute of Standards and Technologies framework that the president ordered to be set up through the executive order. They're setting up this voluntary framework of best practices and guidelines that they hope companies will uh, start to adhere to. Uh, the administration is going to put in some incentives, like maybe contracting advantages or maybe even some uh, immunity from lawsuits to try to get companies to, to meet those standards. But things like immunity from lawsuits Again, require congressional action. Um, so, unless there's a big cyber catastrophe, a widespread electronic electric blackout, or a, a plane crash, you know, it will really be more of a case of the government nudging and offering carrots than using the stick approach. Okay, mm -hmm. that makes a lot of sense. Um, and then, what do you think the media's role is in encouraging improvements in cybersecurity? Well, at first, I also wanted to. Um, add one more thing to the other question, sure. which is, the, you know, what you're hearing a lot more of to, from government and former government officials is that uh, the, the government can't do it all, and in fact, to a large extent, it's, it's up to the private sector and the companies to take responsibility for their own security. One former senior DHS official just said at a DEF CON conference that the government isn't going to come in riding in on a white horse to save you. So, <laughs> uh, so you know, private sector, raise your game. As to how the media can help, well, our role generally is to inform the public and inform the public of the stakes mm -hmm. and of the threats and, and to do it in a way that doesn't hype the threat because that only makes people more inured to that over time. And when a real threat comes along, they'll just ignore it, right? The problem is cyber as a term is, is just so squishy and vague, it easily lends itself to hype. You know, the very word cyber attack is used reflexively to refer to everything from Chinese commercial espionage to Iranian DDoS attacks to Stuxnet. And there's just a world of difference between each one of those. Mm -hmm. My preference would be to use the word attack only when there's truly a major physical or economic impact. Uh, but at this point, I, I think uh, it's too late, and that, of course, has long left the point. <laughs>
Um, another point is that the hard work of improving security is just not sexy, not headline grabbing, and can be just mind-numbingly arcane to the average reader or person. But in the last five years or so, I've seen a huge increase in uh, cybersecurity articles, in conferences, and seminars, many here at the at CSIS that try to educate the public about everything from zero days to threats to critical infrastructure to the nature of commercial espionage versus destructive threats. So really, there is a lot more awareness than, than before. And it's just a question of continuing to improve uh, because the better informed that the public is, the stronger the policy decisions will be and the greater chance for you know, true and effective collaboration between the public and the private sectors. Which is key. Which is key. Great. Well, thank you so much for your time, Ellen. Oh, thank you. <laughs>